Hello and welcome to all our friends, old and new. This is the Midwest Football Podcast, your source for in-depth coverage of the eight NFL teams in the Midwest, the Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings, all served with a side of fantasy football. I'm Joe Smith, coming to you from the lifeblood of the Midwest, the Great Lakes, Detroit Metro, where seasons change and time changes all things, except for the NHL draft lottery hating the Red Wings. Go Hawks! <laughs> this is my friend and broadcast partner, Brian Rosenquist, who knows how to rub it in. <laughs> Good afternoon, Midwestlanders and friends. It's a pleasure uh, just sitting here with uh, my red shirt. It's not a Blackhawk shirt. I was wearing that yesterday. Uh, as we celebrated one overall, just like uh, the Bears had. We'll probably actually use it in hockey, though, not like we did in uh, football to get, you know, DJ Moore. And, well, we already covered this in previous uh, podcasts, so. Well, we are in uh, episode five. We've been doing this a month now, uh, which kind of blows my mind, because in some ways it feels like we've been doing it a lot longer. And in some ways it feels like we just started this yesterday. But we have a lot of people that have really helped us get to this point so far. If you were listening to us on Monday, the 8th, that's yesterday as we record this, then congratulations because you might have been our 100th listener. We are very happy to hit triple digits. Besides the usual people that we thank, we're starting to get a little bit more listener involvement here. One of my old buddies, Seth, popped in with a couple of uh, ideas for some segments. And uh, Brian, I guess people have been talking to you, too. Yeah, I'd like to thank uh, Toby, Tony, and my little brother, Chris, for some good suggestions that uh, for a future podcast that we'll probably have in the near-term future. Do you want to go into any details on those ideas or let that uh, just, just be a teaser for uh, the future? Uh, well, we did mention some of Seth's. If you've got one or two that you want to bring up right now, we can, or we can just kind of let that simmer and let people's creativity uh, come to the forefront, and we can benefit from that at a later time when they email us at our email address, MidwestFootballPodcast at gmail.com. I'd say we mostly let it simmer, but I'll give a shout out to my little brother because he requested a history of the football NFL in St. Louis, which I started doing a little research on, and hmm. it's kind of exciting. They've had not one but two franchises, and they currently have zero, and they are probably the closest team to our region that's not in it. Sorry, Kansas City. You're on the other side of Missouri. Yeah, I, I know that they were the St. Louis Cardinals for a while, obviously the Rams in our lifetime. We've had lots of listeners from all over the place, and a lot of those places make sense because they're places that Brian and I have lived in, or we know a whole lot of people like Detroit area, like Texas, where Brian is right now, like South Carolina, where he was for many years. We know lots of, we both know people in Washington state. We both know people in Florida. Mm -hmm. I was not expecting there to be a lot of people from all over the globe. Yeah, the India stuff is what really surprised me, among other things. We've got Chandigarh in India, which is in the eastern part of the country. We've got Calcutta in West Bengal. We've got a listener that tuned in sometime in the last week or so in Hesse. Germany. So if you're listening to this podcast in Ehringhausen, Hesse, how are you doing? Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we've got 
listeners coming to us from Toronto, Canada, from across the eastern seaboard, California, Oregon, Arizona, Missouri. Somebody in Tennessee came out of nowhere. So we're really excited to get some of these listens in places that we don't necessarily know people. I want to also give a shout out to some of the locations that have listened to all of our podcast episodes, Orlando, San Diego, Arlington Heights, Illinois, Houston, Texas, Chicago, Seattle, where I'm at, my hometown, Rochester, Michigan, has a bunch of listens and they're not me. (laughs) So yeah, we've got a lot of thankfulness for all of you who have chosen to spend a little bit of your week with us in each episode. We are so appreciative. Continuing the appreciation, as usual, we want to thank Raymond for our theme song, Running Home, found with all his music at all digital music distributors. And thanks again to Chris Brandley for all our logos on all our social media. Speaking of social media, we got people messaging us this week. If you want to join that parade, you can message us on our email at midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com. But actual listener questions. What do you have for us, Brian? So we got some good questions. Uh, it's because now that the NFL draft is done, the rookie rankings are finalized and there's not a lot to go on until spring camp, spring training, rookie camp, et cetera. So we are now in the heart in the, of a dynasty rookie draft. So I figured we'd take a little time to answer some questions. Um, mostly guys in um, a league I'm in. So this is going to give away my advantage possibly if they listen. But asking questions about other leagues. And now I apologize, guys, that this will be a little late to help you guys out, but it might help out other listeners. So the first question that I thought was pretty intriguing was, who do you draft at number two in the second round? So not two overall, 202. The questions was wide receiver out of Indianapolis, Josh Downs, tight end for the Raiders, Mike Mayer, or running back for the Titans, uh, Tajay Spears. Do you have any thoughts on uh, this? Because this is pretty interesting. It's three different positions, so it can be hard to judge value, especially in a dynasty rookie draft where you're projecting now versus later. Well, my golden rule for choosing between positions is assuming that the value is close to equal, then you want to default to whatever your scoring system is advantaged by generally. Josh Downs, Mike Mayer, and Tajay Spears. I like Mike Meyer's ability to get onto the field earlier because he's such a good blocker, so he may not have that year or three delay in getting up to speed the way you often see from tight ends. Tajay Spears appears to be the heir apparent to uh, Derrick Henry whenever that's going to happen, but it's a running back, so time is ticking. Josh Downs. Uh, the wide receiver is kind of the happy medium. A lot of he checks a lot of boxes. I'm not sure if he's going to be elite. He's not the ideal height guy. He's, he's more of the the slot receiver. Is that right? Yeah, and I think he projects as the slot because they already got uh, big bodied wide receivers on the outside: Michael Pittman and um, Alec Pierce. Yeah, and Pittman especially is very good. So. If you're in a full PPR, then Josh Downs is advantaged because he's going to get a lot of those dump off over the middle if the offense is designed to actually feed those uh, 
those kinds of routes. If this ends up being a Baltimore Ravens style offense, then Josh Downs looks a whole lot less appealing, which they very well might do because Toolsy Richardson is an incredibly gifted runner. Yeah, so I think his best bet will be if Richardson basically turns him into the check down slot or tight end type, like he uses him like a Mark Andrews where he's hitting Josh Downs over the middle uh, or when he's under duress when he can't find a running lane. My personal take is with these three guys, I think Mayer and Downs are going to run similar routes. Mayer has a cleaner path to the um, field and he was, it's not hard to see him as the number one overall prospect at his position. And even though it's not a tight end premium league, I still think it's a position where a standout has more value. So both Mayer and Josh Downs are getting eight catches a game underneath Mayer is going to be more valuable just on the position he plays. So I like Mayer number one overall of those three. What I like about Tajay Spears in a dynasty league I had Darrington Evans for a couple of years who ended up doing literally nothing. I got him for a fourth round pick and I thought he was going to be the heir apparent to Derrick Henry. Well, I got a lot of offers for him, even though he never did anything. A lot of people just want to handcuff Derrick Henry. They project him to be the guy and I should have traded him. Well, now we're two, three years older with Derrick Henry with another thousand carries under him. So it is more likely Tajay Spears has that value upside. If Derrick Henry goes down, he's more likely to go down now than he was two years ago. And I think Tajay Spears projects as a better bell cow back than Darrington Evans ever did. He was a speed guy that couldn't stay healthy. So it's really preference. Personally, I like Mayer the best. I think Downs has the highest floor, but he is competing for snaps with uh with targets with three other receivers also we don't know what his quarterback's going to look like he might be more of a pull the ball down and run versus jimmy g who's just gonna hit mayor over the middle which we've seen him do with uh george kittle yeah the only other thing i would add is in dynasty you also have to consider uh where your team is in your championship pedigree are you building up or are you trying to win now if you are trying to win now Tajay Spears has or rather not this year but in the near future Tajay Spears has added appeal because running backs are usually harder to come by and the ceiling is higher if you are looking to win three four years from now Meyer downs are probably the choices that's a great point I agree with that and also just what's the roster makeup. Generally, you want to go for best player available anyway, no matter what. But sometimes you might be very desperate for a running back. I mean, I started a year playing Matt Breda as my wide running back too because I just had nobody left. So people could, you know, that, that, it, it, that can factor into what people are doing. Now, we have another question that's also Josh Downs related, also uh, Dynasty. Would you rather have Josh Downs or Kansas City wide receiver, uh, rookie receiver, Reshe Rice? We already talked about Downs as a possession receiver type, uh, the kind of slot receiver that's going to need some volume. Uh, Reshe Rice, I'm not quite sure what to think about it because he's flashed these incredible highlight reel catches mixed with a lot of really underwhelming tape in different stretches. Uh, You got to love the quarterback that 
that Rice has, but at the same time, after Kelsey, they kind of just run bodies out there. So you feel from a fantasy perspective, one of the things you want to find is consistency. Because if you have a guy that gives you 12 points exactly in three straight weeks, that's going to help you. If you have a guy that gives you 30 one week and two the next two, yeah, you probably won the 30 week, but you're also going to take two losses from the bad play the other time. So when it comes time, you know, it's just right now it's hard to trust either one. But if you're talking about pure upside in Dynasty, Downs is safer and I would probably take him first. But if I was in a situation where I'm just trying to hit a home run, you could make a case for Rice. So I generally like the type of receiver Josh Downs is. But where they're drafting him, I feel like I can get those slotty type possession guys a little cheaper. And if you're drafting at the first round or second round, I like to go big, go for the big home run swing and try to get the best guy. And um, this question wasn't – I don't know if this was a super flex – or sorry, a best ball league or a standard start picker starters league. Rex A. Rice, I think, in a best ball is even better because with his flashes with Pat Mahomes, he might have some monster games that just win to you. Whereas Josh Downs has the higher floor, like you were saying, especially in PPR. Like I think Josh Downs PPR standard would be or not standard, but standard start would be better. Whereas Reche Rice in a best ball, that seems like a slam dunk. You got Pat Mahomes and I know they rotate the guys, but when they had Tyreek Hill, he was an elite stud. And I think one of the reasons why Kansas city rotates their guys or just kind of throws them all out there is because they don't have a guy that stepped up and Rache Rice, I believe was a second round pick. He could, he has the pedigree to take over that backfield or not backfield, but the receiver core. And he could really, really swing for the fences. Round two pick 24 for Kansas city. Okay. And one of the other things too is you're going to start hearing, you're going to draft him now. Then you start hearing all the training camp news and all the highlight throws on Twitter of uh, Mahomes hitting Rice. And then you could probably flip him for even more than you got him for in the rookie draft because people are going to get excited thinking he's going to get the number one guy. That's a little thing too with Dynasty. It's kind of a stock market game where is his value gone up since you got him? Is it gone down? What do you think it's going to be? Or you could just, you know, pick the guys you like and ride them for the next 15 years. Either way, there's no wrong way to play Dynasty, and that's what makes it so much fun. And now here's a really much harder question because this is a super flex question because if it was one quarterback, I think it would be pretty obvious. For those of you who are Fantasy Football 101, a super flex is a format in which you can start a quarterback in the flex position, which is unusual because quarterbacks are usually higher scoring on average, but less differentiation between them, which makes them in a normal league a little less valuable. Exactly. Whereas in a super flex, the 25th best quarterback might be the 35th overall scoring player. So you'd rather have a second quarterback, even if he's a quote bad quarterback than a solid running back. And this question is uh, Chicago Bears rookie running back out of Texas, Roshan Johnson, versus the Detroit Lions quarterback, Hendon Hooker. 
what do you think on this one? This one is fascinating to me because first of all, Hendon Hooker is almost for sure not doing anything this year. We talked about him a great deal in the reaction video, and we mentioned him a couple times in the lead up to the draft. So there's quite a bit of material on us for Hendon Hooker. If you've missed it, it basically comes down to he is the dream of all Lions fans who do not want to pay Jared Goff for whatever reason. Um, Rashawn Johnson it has a lot of really nice tape. He's got a power back kind of build, but he's also a plus blocker already, and he's mobile and gritty enough that they are going to use him on special teams. You talk about a three-down running back. Johnson might be a four-down running back. Mm-hmm. I'm not – there's also a lot of, of uh, fight in that backfield, though, at the moment. We'll see how to what extent the Bears clear the deck for Johnson – in the near future but i do feel that the utility of johnson johnson's skill set is going to have him see the field this year of course this year is only part of the concern in a dynasty league and it's not a concern at all if you don't think you're in your championship window hooker would be great if you're trying to tank this year for caleb williams or marvin harrison next year because you're redshirting him this year anyways and then you might get two quarterbacks the price of one next year on the cheap but I think I really like Roshan's situation because it's a very murky backfield in Chicago, but they didn't spend a lot of capital on Deontay Foreman or Khalil Herbert. Herbert was a sixth round pick. He looked better than Montgomery and he could be the guy. There's a really good chance that he will uh, be the starter. And a lot of people in Chicago think that, you know, Roshan's the big body mauler that's going to compete with Deontay Foreman as the thunder with, to Khalil Herbert's lightning. However, as you mentioned earlier, Roshan's a really good pass blocker. So he could be the third down back, which is kind of crazy to think a big guy is a third down back, which then makes his draft profile look like Ramon J. Stevenson, who's a big boy that can block and catch. And suddenly before you know it, he's the three down back and he's a top 10 fantasy running back. And, uh, before you know it, and he's vanquished, you know, the one-year contract, Deontay Foreman, and the sixth-round pick, uh, Khalil Herbert. I think Herbert has the surest shot of seeing the field in meaningful fantasy situations because I think he's going to be the airback this year. That being said, in the long run, yeah, I, I think the utility of Johnson in a league that doesn't want to pay for an elite running back is going to really work out in his favor. Hendon Hooker is, we've said many times, is a very tough evaluation. Mm-hmm. With the that knee. Tennessee offense is hard to figure it out, especially with the quarterback. Yeah, and yeah, when you're dealing with an NCAA offense where practice time is strictly limited, at least theoretically, then... <laughs> if they follow the rules. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what? People don't follow the rules in the NCAA? SEC oh my gosh. Has never violated a rule ever. <clears throat> Especially next time. Uh, yeah. In that kind of setup, doing something different is by definition better because yeah. people just haven't seen it. It's the same reason like the nobody wants to play the service academies where the it goes from air college to we are going to run you over. Yeah. You know, Hendon Hooker, he checks a lot of the boxes. He looks like he could be a legitimate quarterback if he can operate in 
the NFL-style offenses he's going to see. Sitting in Detroit, he definitely has targets to throw to and an offensive line to sit behind. I mean, I really like both of these guys long-term. Same. Johnson is the sure bet, but it's hard to turn down a potential plus quarterback. But, hey, man, Johnson couldn't even start at Texas. He couldn't be that good. Oh, wait, he was backing up Bijan Robinson. Never mind. <laughs> I just want to throw, point that out. I'm already well, seeing the Chicago tweets that he would have been going 2,000 yards if Bijan wasn't there. Well, okay, yeah, well, crazy that's fans homeless. notwithstanding. I know. That's a yeah, I mean, I honestly feel like maybe backing up Bijan was a great thing for him in the long term in the NFL because he was forced to develop pass blocking all the utility stuff that's going to keep him on the field and keep impressing coaches. They were also creative. He literally took wildcat snaps when he would take big play quarterback and hand the ball off to Bijan and spread options and stuff like that. So that was kind of crazy when you watch that, you know, I think it really comes down to your take on hooker because as a third down running quarterback, that's not high draft capital for a quarterback. He could, he could be the next Jalen Hurts, which is what everyone wants him to be. But it's also probably more likely he's the next Malik Willis or Kellen Mond, who were fellow third-round draft picks a couple of years ago uh, at Tennessee and Minnesota, and they're pretty much not even on the team anymore. They're on the team, but they're buried. Yeah, A lot of times red-shirted quarterbacks get forgotten about if they don't do anything to make the team that has them remember that they're there. Exactly. And speaking of Tennessee quarterbacks, one of the guys that uh, Malik Willis might have lost out to, the next question, also super flex, would be Tennessee quarterback Will Levis, who slipped into the second round, versus Miami Dolphins running back Devon A-Chain. Another quarterback versus running back. What's your take on this guy? This one, to me, comes down to championship window or not. Mm. Because I feel like... The Miami running back whose last name I cannot pronounce. A-Chain? A-Chain? Okay. It's like they're going to ride. Yeah, they're going to ride the A-Chain. Yeah, the A-Chain. To, exactly. to, uh, because you want to talk about not much draft capital at running back. Miami had virtually zero until they brought in this guy whose speed they love. Honestly, I feel like Miami's kind of becoming the new L.A. Raiders. Because all they do is accumulate stupidly fast players. And you look at Will Levis, who I like, but I don't know how to figure him. He's the one guy that I was like, boy, it's really going to come down to what the evaluation is to me. And the fact that he fell all the way to the second round, more on that later, it gives me pause that what did all these teams see of course you know the gold standard for what did all these teams see they passed him he must stink tom brady but i'm not saying will levis is going to be anywhere near tom brady he's a strong arm quarterback that was better with his reads than he got general credit for but there's enough holes in the game that he fell so what I like about this question back to back with the previous one is this is a turbocharged version of that question. I think that Devon A. Chain's path to starter is way more clear than Johnson because he's got to overcome what 33 year old often injured Raheem Mostert, 
Jeff Wilson, just a guy. And A-Chain, like you said, team full of tracksters, it's not hard to see him as a top five running back on the cheap. Will Levis, he still has to beat out second-year player Malik Willis, who maybe has progressed in the last offseason. The fact that Tennessee chose to draft Will Levis in the second round tells me that Malik Willis probably hasn't in this non-factor. But at the same time, Ryan Tannehill is a very good quarterback. He's still there. People forget they want to write him off, but there's a good chance Levis is redshirted just like Hooker and doesn't play for you at all this year. And then maybe Tannehill plays well enough that he gets the Geno Smith deal and he just keeps rolling with it, you know? So there is a good chance that Levis never wins the job. I mean, he didn't, you know, we can talk about him more in depth in a little bit, but I think it matters. Missing an entire season can be rough. And when A-Chain is probably going to be the RB1 by week two, he's going to provide, produce value right away, And which I don't know if we can say that with Roshan. He could, he could be buried for the depth chart for the Bears all year. Yeah. And me, I think I would probably go with A-Chain over Levis, despite the fact that it's super flex. Now, if you're rebuilding, go with Levis, redshirt it, swing for the fences, but it really comes down to, again, are you in the championship window? Get A-Chain. If you're rebuilding, get Levis. I would, yeah. I mean, if A-Chain is not the entrenched starter in Miami by the time we hit October, then something has gone fatally wrong. And he's a perfect fit for the running scheme, too. Just zone block and go. The next question, the final rookie question we have for Dynasty is, this is an interesting one. The Packers, as we talked about last week, drafted a tight end in the second and the third round. It was uh, Luke Musgrave and um, Tucker Kraft out of San Diego, South Dakota State. I always want to say San Diego State. That SD throws me off. Which one do you want to have? Because Luke Musgrave has the second-round capital, but Tucker Kraft has third-round capital right there. And the fact that they drafted him right after Musgrave tells me they might not be sold on him. I mean, you have a situation where – you, you, we had Hendon Hurst, Hayden Hurst drafted in the first round and Mark Andrews drafted in the fourth in the same draft. And Hendon, Hayden Hurst is already on his, what, third team, fourth team now? And I guess my th- thought is Musgrave has a higher capital. He has a higher ceiling. So if you want to swing for the fences, he's got the, quote, talent, but he also has one season worth of tight game film in three years or four years because he was injured so much. And I just like the Tucker craft profile, San Diego, South Dakota state has only produced three top three round draft picks. All three of them are tight ends. One of them being Dallas Goddard. And he's arguably our pass catcher, but the last two games Musgrave played, he balled out. I personally like the, the safer floor, even though he's a small school team, uh, small, small school t- tight end Tucker craft. He's probably who I'd like to go to, especially because I could probably get him later in the draft. But if the question is, who do you take when they're both on the clock? Do you have any strong feelings on this? Yeah, I feel like in fantasy football, as in real football, one of the most important abilities is availability. And Luke Musgrave never had it in college. The track record of guys who are always hurt in college coming to the NFL and suddenly playing 17 game seasons every year is not good. Now I'm not saying Tucker craft is going to be the next superstar, 
but I'd rather take the roll the dice on a guy that balled out at a small school than somebody who looked good, not great, but was always hurt in a major program like Oregon State. True. I'm agreeing with you, but just for the listeners, I want to point out the uh, consensus draft board. Musgrave is 26 and Kraft is 43. And my buddy who asked this question went with Musgrave. <laughs> so even though we're in agreement, that doesn't we, we might be in the minority of this uh, question here on this. Uh, should I say this answer? That just means you can pull a not Lions and wait a little bit and get your guy with a little bit extra value. Trade back. Uh, Besides, I mean, this is a tactic that we, as we discussed in last week's episode, the Packers love to throw volume at a position and hope that they get one guy out of it and then they're set for a long time. Speaking of the Packers, as we get away from fantasy football questions, we talked a lot about Aaron Rodgers and him going to the Jets. But that leaves the Packers a very different team. And I want to discuss that for a little bit and really give the current version of the Packers the attention that they deserve. It'll be an interesting post Rodgers era since they haven't dealt with this in 30 years. And uh, they've been grooming Jordan Love for three years. They extended him two. And the coach is really going to have to earn his paycheck. How well has he developed Jordan Love? Um, will he run the schematic? Because the other thing, too, is. Rodgers was a veteran. He's kind of set in his ways. So the coach has a better chance to put his imprint on the team, on the offense, to see what he can do with Jordan Love, especially with the army of young receivers. They've, they've drafted a lot of receivers, six to be exact, in the last two years. But they're also, they have the lowest amount of uh, capital financially uh, in the receiver core. I think it's like $9 million for their entire receiver core, which is pretty insane. They also are the only receiver core in the NFL in which nobody on the roster has a thousand career receiving yards. Wow. Not a single one. And it's going to be interesting because they have a pretty good roster. I mean, this is a team two and three years ago was in the final four. They were in the NFC championship. They took a step back last year, but they came an interception against Detroit away from making the playoffs last year again. And, you know, they were still a decent team despite the slow start in a rebuild year with Devontae Adams moving on. Now, what's your take on the roster? Do you think it's ready to go? I honestly feel like they're closer to the top of the NFC North than the bottom. I don't know exactly where they'll be. They've got a good defense. They're not a bad team top to bottom. And you want my honest opinion? Yes. I feel Rodgers was mentally checked out last year. So I'll agree with that. I think the drop to Jordan Love, unless Love is a disaster, may not be as big as some people think he is because they've got good running backs. They've got the offensive line. The They're throwing volume at the receiving core. Tight end and wide receivers, yeah. Both of them, All the yeah. pass catchers. They've got a lot of support for whoever comes in, which is what good teams do. Yeah, and to be honest, Rodgers moving on might be just like a breath of fresh air. It's like a fart cloud passing because he's just been so much drama in the front office and at the practice fields the last couple of seasons that – it might be refreshing to just have an offseason where they're just playing football. All my Bears fans are excited about Aaron Rodgers finally moving on, but 
it might not be as good as we think it is. We we celebrated when Farr moved on and Brett and Aaron Rodgers within two years was making him back into a double digit win team. And um, I think that there's a good chance that the Packers have been written off too soon. They started the rebuild last year. So they're already farther along than people think they are, despite the fact that they took a step back. Yeah. But one of the hardest things to do in all the sports is to rebuild on the fly, and which is what they're trying to do. Now, a good team can do it. And we've got a couple of really nice front offices here green in the NFL. Green Bay's one of them where they might just be reloading and you know we'll find out. But you mentioned something that fascinated me about the Green Bay coach earning his money. That's Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur came in in 2019 to the Packers. Let's think for a minute what the roster for the Packers was like in 2019. Since that time, they've subtracted Devontae Adams. They've subtracted a number of defensive players. They've now subtracted Aaron Rodgers on a team that has always been around the NFC Championship game, at least until last year, but never was able to take that next step. Well, now they're going to be in a situation where those coaching decisions are going to matter a whole lot more because they're not heads and tails talent wise better than the NFC North the way that they have been for most of LaFleur's contract. So we're really going to find out some stuff about Matt LaFleur this year, as well as love. It's an evaluation year, I think, for both of them. Also interesting, too, like when the Patriots moved on from Tom Brady, they had three teams that were not playing, doing well in their division that all started building better. And I think the NFC North is similar where the Vikings were good last year. They were 13 wins and Detroit and Chicago look like they're going to be much improved over last year where they were considered, you know, bottom feeders where I wouldn't be surprised if any of these four teams make the playoffs or win the division. And I think that's going to make it a lot harder for the Packers. They could be improved and still finish last for all we know, or they could still win the division again, but you know, it's going to come down to their quarterback. And speaking of NFC North quarterbacks. Yeah, we got some breaking news today for our, especially for our Vikings fans about the passing of uh, Vikings quarterback, Joe Knapp. Joe Knapp was the quarterback for the Vikings uh, in the 1969 NFL championship game. At that time, that was the equivalent of the NFC. So there, and they won that taking them to the Vikings first Super Bowl. But he was such an incredible spirit that continues to be felt in the Minnesota community and as well as California community where he was from. He had a very famous quote that is the bedrock of, or a bedrock of the Minnesota Vikings organization. When he was quarterback, even though he was only quarterback for about four years of the Vikings, he was awarded the team's MVP at a banquet, and he turned it down, saying, there's no one most valuable Viking. There are 40 most valuable Vikings, which at that time was the entire roster. That's quite the opposite of Aaron Rodgers the last two off seasons. <laughs> it's hard to imagine too many, not just quarterbacks, but players in any sport turning down a team MVP award. And I, I give them all the credit in the world for it. 
I agree. That's impressive. Because you, that's how you change a culture in one thank you speech. Definitely. They just did everything that it took for 60 minutes. The entire team was behind him. Everybody loved him. And he passed away Tuesday morning at age 85. He had led the University of California, Berkeley to a Rose Bowl, which is where he played in college. He led the BC Lions to the Grey Cup in the CFL. And he led the Vikings to a Super Bowl. Damn good career. He is to this day the only quarterback that has done all three. Rose Bowl, Grey Cup, Super Bowl. As impressive resume. He will be missed. And hopefully uh, Kirk Cousins can take up that mantle for the uh, Vikings this year. In lieu of flowers, those of you who are interested, donations can be made through the Joe Cap Scholarship for Latinx students at Cal, through the UC Berkeley Chicanx Latinx Alumni Association. The address is ucblaa.org. Uh, which is another great thing about him. He doesn't want it to be about himself. He wants the money to go to his scholarship program. We'll post that on Twitter too. So okay. send that to me after the show. Yeah. So speaking of quarterbacks, maybe one less uh, heralded. We mentioned him earlier, but um, we talked about Levis in fantasy football perspective earlier today, but it was interesting because before the draft started, people were uh, he was the odds on favorite to be the number two overall draft pick. And he fell to the second round where he was the number two of the second round. But what, what do you think happened that caused Will Levis to slide a full round in uh, the draft this year? You know, I was pretty surprised by that. You heard reports afterwards that, he came off the wrong way at interviews, which admittedly, some of the people that are interviewing him, you wonder what they're looking at sometimes. But, you know, it's fair. So I got maybe he wasn't a good interview. But it, it wasn't just one interview. I heard that from multiple front offices that he was. I don't know if they said he was confrontational or egotistical or what. I don't know. I just heard bad interview multiple times normally i ignore that but this case it seemed like it mattered the uh multiple what i heard was egotistical Hmm. now that being said sometimes stuff gets said after the fact to try and cover a team's backside if you know their guy that they picked in the fourth round doesn't work out why didn't they pick levis because now basically every team in the nfl passed on him it's tough I hate when a kid's sliding and they keep showing him in the green room. They need to stop showing him. Just let him be, you know. And, you know, then when he wasn't drafted, the PR battle you can't win. If you if you show up again, you're getting more punishment. If you don't, then you're a quitter. Mm-hmm. I also think the uh, the narrative is very fascinating because – the Titans still traded up to get him in the second round. And it's weird because people go, well, he's a second round guy. They know what he really likes him, blah, 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 et cetera. But if the Titans just stood pat at 11 and took him instead of um, Skaronsky, people would have said, oh my God, what a steal. They got a top two, top four draft pick 
11. This is incredible. That's right. But because he fell a full round farther and they got arguably the best offensive lineman in the draft, people are now questioning Tennessee for taking him. And it's just such a weird narrative where if a guy slips out of the first round, now he's considered toxic. But if he just falls in the first round and still gets grabbed, he's a deal. He's a, he's a bargain. And it is just a weird how that story developed into, oh, Will Levis, we don't even want him. Like, I mean, one of the things, just going back to our dynasty stuff, people, the reason why that question came up is Will Levis was considered a top five dynasty super flex draft pick it was the big four quarterbacks in Bijan. he was taken in the second round by my buddy in his super flex dynasty league and it was a question whether to take him or not like that's insane when you think about it just basically because the guy fell an extra 20 spots in the draft he's still the same prospect he's still got the same arm he's still got the same attitude you know I, i'm fascinated by it because he could be the real steal of the draft or we might not hear from him again in a year or two because there's no capital backing him, you know? Yeah. As a prospect, he was the guy that I didn't know how to figure. Like, if the Lions decided they would have wanted him at six, I wouldn't have blinked. Well, I think that what's interesting to me is the Colts even said when they took Anthony Johnson at four, it was a hard decision between Richards, not Johnson, Richardson and Levis. So – you're talking basically a coin flip, 50, 60, or maybe a 40, 60 chance to go number four overall. And he slid because it was just one of those things where, you know, we talked about in the pre-draft, these quarterbacks all had very different styles. And it seems to me like the guys that maybe wanted him the most already got their quarterback. He was just number two on everyone's board that drafted in the top three, top four. And that could be as simple as that, you know? So he's going to be very fascinating to follow the next couple of years, in my opinion, even more so than Hendon Hooker. Speaking of the Lions, what's your take on uh, DeAndre Swift getting shivved on the draft this week weekend or last week, I should say? There is so much drama. Like, I talked last week about how something almost went flying through my TV screen when the lions traded down and drafted the running back Gibbs. And apparently I wasn't the only one because Swift pretty much did the same thing for the lions. He set out a barrage of tweets and everything, you know, about being upset that the team didn't tell him they were taking a running back. He felt personally betrayed, you know, all this stuff and the fans kind of roll their eyes about that because we just went through that with uh, with Jamal. You can't see me, but I'm rolling my eyes, and maybe Joe noticed that. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. So he ended up getting traded to Philly for a fourth round pick and In like a seventh round and a seventh round draft swap, which is a far cry from the first round pick that the Lions spent on him in the previous regime. Second round pick. Was it a second? Yeah, that's right. It was a second. You're right. High second, though. It was very high. Right. But when Jalen Ramsey's going for a third, it's hard to imagine the running back whose replacement you obviously just drafted 
gutting a whole lot more than that. So it's hard to get mad at the Lions for that much. Well, you can because if they knew they were coming into that draft getting one of these guys, if it's not Gibbs, maybe they were thinking Bijan would fall to 12. Maybe they were thinking they get A-Chain or Charbonnet. you got to trade him before the draft when he sells value. As soon as they picked up Gibbs, every team knew they were getting rid of Swift. And it was give him peanuts to be first in line, if not, he's going to be cut, and we can see if we can win the waiver. Philly's at the bottom of the waiver order, so they'll give you a mid-round pick two years from now, which they'll probably let Swift walk and recoup that in a compensatory pick for all we know. you know. And I just think that that's where it was bad on the Lions' part. I always think it's funny when, they, when players get mad when they think the team owes them that they're going to – a heads up because you don't know how the draft's going to go. I think it was pretty clear that the Lions wanted um, Witherspoon and they smartly traded back when he wasn't there. But I don't think the Lions had any intention of grabbing Gibbs in the sixth pick or even having the 12th pick. I think that that was kind of a backup plan, which not the best plan, but they took Swift early and they gave him a lot of years. And as we had mentioned in previous podcasts, shout out to previous podcasts, that it sounded like Swift was already out on the coaching staff. We saw the writing on the wall, so it's hard for me to believe that Swift did not himself. Yeah, the word on the street is is Swift is going to wear the number zero in Philadelphia in honor of the number of healthy seasons he's had. (laughs) But um, Story checks out. What can I say? But yeah, I mean, the other foul paw about this from Detroit's perspective is they just traded a running back in his contract year. And it's still his contract year. They did not ex- they did not extend it that I know of for Philadelphia yet. So we're going to see how much of this the last couple of years of Swift not being available was injured versus hurt. Yeah. And because he was a high second round pick, they don't have a fifth year option to even consider exercising. So he is in a contract year straight up other than, you know, a franchise tag. But that about wraps it up on this edition of the Midwest football podcast, episode five. Thanks again for listening. Don't be afraid to send us your questions, comments, opinions. So you can be part of the show too at Midwest football podcast at gmail.com that was midwest football podcast at gmail.com but it is fifth quarter time so as we take it into the locker room we will see you later miss you already